Welcome to the Ego Sumvir podcast with me, Father Andrew Eburn. And as always, I invite you to begin by joining with me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, take away from me whatever keeps me from you. My Lord and my God, give to me whatever brings me to you. My Lord and my God, free me from myself, that I may give you all I am, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to start this week by telling you a story about people's attitude to confession. A few years ago, I was in prison as a chaplain, and now at that stage I was a deacon, so I was wearing clerical dress, but I hadn't yet been ordained a priest. And I was in the chaplain's seat one day when a prison officer escorted a man in. The man seemed very stressed and agitated, very worked up. And when they got to the room where I was, he rushed inside the room with me, slammed the door shut so the prison officer couldn't get in. And then in one breathless rush, he said, I know you're a priest and you can't tell anyone what I'm telling you, but I've killed someone else and the police don't know. Well, I have to say, uh, the thought did run through my head. Do I now confess to him? Because clearly he thinks I'm a priest and that this is a confession and I'm bound by the seal of confession so no one can ever hear this. Do I now say, uh, actually, I'm not a priest and I can tell other people what you said? And then on the other hand, this man is in a very agitated state. He was quite a muscular chap, and he's clearly already killed at least two people. And I didn't particularly want to become number three if he finds out I'm not obliged to keep his secrets. But I decided, pretty much instinctively, this is not about me. It's about him and what he needs to do. So I could see the prison officer was looking through the glass panel of the door trying to work out whether he needed to burst in and, and restrain this chap. So I, I lifted my hand, uh, slightly wondering the wisdom of this, but I lifted my hand just to show to the, the prison officer, okay, and I said to the prisoner, why don't we sit down and talk about it? And we did. He, he really needed to get some stuff off his chest, uh, including a murder. Uh, and the great irony, uh, the great irony of the situation was, of course, I wasn't a priest. And moreover, as it turned out, he wasn't a Catholic. So just to reassure you, we didn't do anything like sacramental confession. He just confessed to a crime. But today, that irony strikes me even more strongly. The irony of someone who's not a Catholic being desperate to go to confession with someone who's not a priest. Because one of the very few sad things for me about being a priest today is the reluctance of people who are Catholic to go to confession or to even talk about it for that matter. Why don't people want to go to confession? Today I'm going to talk about eight reasons I think people have for not going to confession so maybe you can see if any of them apply to you. And do let me know. I'd be really interested to hear if any of these are true for you. 
And as in the past, when I record a podcast based on a list, sometimes we overrun because I just talk too much. So it might be that we split this into two podcasts again. So reason number one, reason number one is this. I only need to go to confession once a year. Or more simply, I don't need to go to confession very often, which usually means once a year or even less. Now, I think this belief comes about because people have never been taught or fully understood what the church actually teaches about confession. So, a little bit of history. Uh, In the Middle Ages, the church was concerned that people had so much respect for the sacrament, they were so much in awe of the sacrament, that they wouldn't go to communion at all. So, the church passed a law at the Lateran Council in 1123 that every Catholic must go to communion at least once a year. And if it was only once a year, then at Easter. But that law was actually two laws in one, and the two laws are these. You must go to receive communion at least once a year, and second law combined with it, you must Go to confession at least once a year, immediately before your once-a-year communion. So, there you go. Confession, then communion, once a year. Simple. And the two, of course, are linked together because Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now there's the principle reconciliation before we go to the altar. We go to the sacrament of reconciliation before we go to the sacrament of the Eucharist. And we don't go to receive communion if we are conscious of um, grave or mortal sin. Uh, This is what we call receiving communion in a state of grace, which really means that um, dependent on the state of our soul, The graces of the Eucharist, if you like, penetrate more deeply and are more fruitful in us. It is as if sin forms a kind of shell around us which prevents the love of God penetrating deeply within us. And I guess that shell in confession has to be cracked. Anyway, back to the First Lateran Council. This has been the law of the Church ever since the year 1123, once a year, for going to confession and then receiving communion afterwards, so once a year for both. Then, of course, time passes. People started to come to communion more than once a year, weekly communion, even daily, but they did not start going to confession more often. And now we have a situation where people go to Mass every week, but they go to confession once a year, once every five years, perhaps never. So what is a good frequency for going to confession? Well, unless you are going to confession weekly, then a good frequency is probably more often than you are going right now. If you never go, make an appointment and go. If you go only once a year at Easter, make that three times a year. Once at Easter, once at Advent, and once maybe in summer or autumn in between. What is the ideal frequency? Well, when I was at seminary, 
uh, we used to seminary used to go to mass every day uh, and confession once a week so mass seven times a week confession once a week now i know what you will say you'll say i'm not at a seminary i'm in a different state of life this rule doesn't apply to me well yes that's right but the proportion the ratio of masses to confession is a good one seven masses one confession if it has been more than seven masses since you last went to confession then you should probably go again okay so reason number two on my list uh, now people who have never been taught what the church teaches about confession or who have been taught a long time ago and have forgotten also tend not to understand the role of the priest in confession uh, they don't always understand and let's go right back to basics now they don't always understand that on the night before he died jesus gave his disciples the power to forgive sins just as he had forgiven sins and that this power to forgive sins is handed on in turn to priests through the grace of ordination the consequence of not understanding this is that people think i can stay at home and say sorry on my own so this is reason number two i can stay at home and say sorry to god on my own actually it's basically a misunderstanding of how sacraments work so perhaps the simplest analogy here i think is the analogy of another sacrament the mass so let's take the mass God has given Catholic priests the power to consecrate bread and wine so that it becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Which means that if you eat bread and wine at home, it is not the same as going to Mass. If you eat bread and wine at home, it can be a very nice thing to do, but it is not the Mass. Jesus is not sacramentally present when you eat bread and wine at home of course he is present in some form in your house but he is not sacramentally present now to be sure um, you're not going to mass simply because of the priest i mean because of the priest as a human being because of his personality or likableness or whatever you're not going to mass that is because the priest is a nice person or super virtuous you're going to mass because jesus is present but Jesus is present because the words of the institution spoken by the priest and the action of the Holy Spirit make Jesus present. There is no Mass without the priest, and without the priest, Jesus Christ is not present in the Mass, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Okay, so it is the same with confession. Because confession is a sacrament, it is an encounter with Jesus Christ, just like the Mass. And it is different from praying on your own at home. It is qualitatively different. It is not bad to pray at home and say sorry to God for things, but it is qualitatively different doing it in person in confession, where the presence of the priest means that Jesus Christ is also sacramentally present in the box with us. And so again, when you go to the priest for confession, you are not going to the priest because he is a nice person or because he is super virtuous or wise. You are going because Jesus promised 
those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Jesus has handed on to the priest his divine power to forgive sins. And Jesus is sacramentally present in the confessional. So it is not about the priest, it is about Jesus and about encountering him and his love and grace in the confessional. Okay, so next item on my list. People don't go to confession because they actually think they don't need to go. They think they haven't sinned. So this is reason number three. I haven't done anything wrong and I don't need to go. Ah, uh, yes you have. There are two alternatives here. Either you're Mother Teresa and you're a saint, in which case you need to go to confession. If you're Mother Teresa, you will go to confession once a week, which is what she did. Or the other alternative is that you're not Mother Teresa and you're not a saint, in which case you need to go to confession. Now, it may be you can't think of anything wrong you've done, but that's because you are not used to examining your conscience. You're not used to taking a good look at yourself in the mirror of the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. I once visited a friend who had retired a couple of years previously, and he'd spent a lot of time after he retired doing DIY and fixing up things around the house where he'd lived for many years doing jobs that he had intended to do for a long time that he had not got around to doing. Anyway, when I visited him, he had been retired a couple of years and he'd got bored of DIY, and he said to me, I've run out of jobs to do. But do you know, there were still so many jobs left to do in that house. There were taps that didn't run properly and windows that didn't close properly and all kinds of things that needed replacing. Nothing extraordinary, mind, just the regular everyday stuff that eventually goes wrong in any house. The point is that this friend of mine genuinely thought he'd finished everything that needed to be done. The little jobs that were there that to an outsider obviously needed attention, he just didn't see them because he had lived with them for so long. And it is the same with us. It might be the same with our houses, but it's certainly the same with our spiritual lives. Unless we have got into the habit of examining our consciences and taking a good, clear, unbiased look at ourselves, through, as I say, that mirror of the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church, unless we do this regularly, we no longer see what needs to be addressed. Examination of conscience is uh, an absolutely vital part of a good confession. It doesn't have to take long, but you do need to spend at least, I don't know, at least, let's say, 10 minutes, which is, let's face it, a tiny amount of time, but at least 10 minutes examining your life. The simplest way, I suggest, is to download uh, an examination of conscience from the internet. and It'll be a, a list of questions for you and then just apply them to your own life. Uh, the examines that I always recommend are the ones by Father Thomas Wynandy. Father Thomas Wynandy, you can Google them and he's produced uh, different examinations of consciences for you know, for priests, for married people, for single people, etc., etc. And you just uh, download, there'll be a list of, I don't know, 40 or 50 questions. You just run through them. 
Now, of course, you may think that not all the questions apply to you or they are irrelevant. That's fine. But just the exercise of going through them and responding to them will help to clarify what the state of your life is, the state of your soul and the state of your relationship with God. So examine your conscience. Right, next item on the list, and actually, yes, as I suspected, we're uh, starting to run out of time, so this will be the last item for this podcast. I will have to carry on with the rest of the list next week. So next one. People think they might have sinned, uh, but they think God doesn't mind. He loves me anyway. He loves me. He'll understand. So this is reason number four. God loves me anyway. He'll understand. This is what we call the, the sin of presumption, the sin of presumption or taking God for granted. And I guess there's a lot you could say about the sin of presumption. God loves me anyway. Well, of course he does. Of course he does. But we need to understand what love is, what the nature of love is. So we need to understand, for example, important first principle that love can be accepted or rejected. If God loves us, then he loves us enough to respect our freedom, to reject him, and to reject his love. I suppose the simple analogy here is, uh, if you imagine a picture, a picture of God carrying a big box which is labelled his love, which he is offering to me unconditionally. And there I am, and I also have a box which is labelled, I don't know, let's say my stuff, full of my ideas about how I want to run my life, for example. Now, God's offer of his great love to me is, of course, unconditional. He loves me unconditionally. But I still need to put down my box in order to accept his. So there is still a role for my free will. I am free to accept his love or reject it. I don't have to put down my box and he won't force me to. So perhaps we could say this, uh, God's love might well be unconditional, but my acceptance my acceptance of his love might be conditional. There might be things I need to do, changes I need to make in my life in order to accept that unconditional offer of love, like putting down my box, like going to confession. We can't disassociate love from free will, from the freedom to accept or reject it. And then the sin of presumption, the, the, the God loves me anyway attitude, is also, I think, now if we're really honest, I think it's also often simply an excuse not to confront ourselves. Uh, I once had a friend, for example, um, who was always late for everything. He was legendary late. You may have friends like this. Anyway, this guy, he was legendary late. He, and it often caused real inconvenience to other people. But anyway, he would say, oh, well, people know me. They know I'm going to be late. It's just me. Now, let's be clear. This is not actually an argument for continuing your behavior. You being late is not just you. 
It is just you being selfish and inconsiderate and using assumptions about other people's acceptance of your behaviour in order not to have to confront it and in order not to have the labour of changing it. So, if God loves you, then he loves you enough to want you to be better. To be, as the secular world tells us, the best version of you. To be more virtuous, more faithful, more loving to others. Perhaps he loves you enough to want you to go to confession and to encounter his son there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that was the first half of my list of reasons not to go to confession. Um, so do let me know if, if you recognise any of those or if you think I've missed any out. And we'll carry on to finish next week. So thank you very much, as always, for being with me this week. Do remember to click the follow button and follow this podcast if you don't do so already. Uh, do get in touch with any comments or questions or suggestions. And I'll upload another episode next Sunday and look forward to joining you then. Let's end then, as always, with the prayer of our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.